So, hey, welcome to church. We're glad to have you uh, in the house of God uh, with us uh, this morning. Hey, one thing I'm going to put on your radar real briefly. Next Sunday, which is uh, September 11th in the evening, we're hosting our next Seattle preview service at Cross and Crown Church right in uh, the university district. We was there last uh, month as well. We're going to be there again. And uh, the Lord really spoke to us, and, and we felt like prior to planting uh, in the city, we needed to host these monthly nights of worship and prayer. And so that's what we've been doing. God and his presence have been showing up really in strong and unusual ways, and we're just grateful for it. And so our next experience is next uh, Sunday, and I just heard from the bank, actually last week, we officially close on our property September 15th, and so it's coming up soon. And I want to say a special thank you to all of you who have given just so generously to help us cross the finish line strong. And uh, we are just uh, anticipating and expectant that the same spirit that we sense so strongly here on the north end is ready and available for us on the south end as well. Because this is what we carry with us. It's not like, man, I hope God shows up in Seattle. No, nothing is too hard for this God that we serve. And listen, the Holy Spirit is not intimidated by the northwest and neither are we. And so for us, we just confidently continue to work with this idea that the mountains still melt like wax in his presence. Highways are still made low. Low ways are still made high. Crooked ways are still made straight. And I'm just expectant that God has got resources up his sleeve that we aren't even aware of in this moment. God's got more people in that city than you could ever imagine who are in need of the gospel. If all you were ever to do was listen to the news and the negative naysayers in our culture, they would just tell you Seattle is too hard, it's too lost, it's too far gone. But friend, that is God's specialty. He is the one who still walks through graveyards calling dead things unto life. All he has to do is call them by name. When he calls Lazarus, life comes back into him. And so I'm just confident that this God that we worship is already speaking a word of restoration and redemption over the Northwest. And we are not waiting on him. He is waiting on us. And we're going to show up strong. God's going to do his best work. And we're just going to see the presence of God continue to do what he does best. Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They will try, but it will not work. The weapons will form, but they will not prosper. The enemy will come in like a flood, but God will raise up a standard. God has opened a door, but on the other side, wait many adversaries. Man, this is just the natural cycle and pattern of what it looks like to follow Jesus. You encounter resistance, you encounter hardship, you encounter difficulty, but in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer for Jesus has overcome the world. And so we're just excited for what God's going to continue to do in and across this region. And I hope today you are expectant for this God to do something fresh in your life and in your heart as well. Today, I'm going to share with you out of the book of Hebrews. And in specific, we're going to look at, at chapter nine. The book of Hebrews is constructed in a way that really speaks to Jewish believers who have been converted out of Judaism now into the followership of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews is written in a way that helps the reader see the shadow of the Old Testament fulfilled in the Messiah of the New Testament. So there's a lot of patterns and shadows and types and symbols that are talked about in the book of Hebrews and the author, some believe it was the apostle Paul, some believe it was a ministry companion of Paul, 
is helping the reader understand that Jesus in fact is the fullest expression of everything that the law and the prophets looked forward to. Jesus, a man born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, has now been born in the fullness of time that all those who put their faith in Christ Jesus may have eternal life. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, that first covenant between God and Israel, it had all sorts of regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. In fact, in that tabernacle, there was two rooms. The first room, there was a lampstand, a table, and loaves of bread on the table, and that room was called the holy place. But then there was a curtain, and behind that curtain, there was a second room, and this second room was called the most holy place, or some would say the holy of holies. In that room, there was a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark was a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. In Hebrews 9, the author is causing the reader to reflect on the shadow of the old covenant and how Christ brings fulfillment in the new. It's not that the old covenant is useless. It's that it has already served its purpose because it revealed our great need for Christ. And now we no longer approach the Father through the lens of the law, but instead the one that fulfilled the law, Christ Jesus. And this is what the author is proclaiming to the church. Jesus is the better tabernacle. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is exactly who the Old Testament prophets had been waiting for. And in Christ, every type, every picture, and every symbol has been fulfilled. We no longer need animal sacrifices. Why? Because Jesus is the spotless lamb. We no longer need the observance of festivals. Why? Because Jesus is the never-ending celebration. We no longer need the ceremonial bathing. Why? Because Jesus has washed us white to snow. We no longer need the dietary restrictions. Why? Because we will not call unclean what Christ has called clean. In the old covenant, the law came through Moses, but in the new covenant, grace and truth come through Jesus. In the old covenant, a curtain separated man from the holy of holies, but in the new covenant, the curtain has been torn and we now enter in boldly because of the blood of Jesus. In the old covenant, the high priest could enter into the presence of God only once a year to atone for sin. But in the new covenant, we have become priests unto God and can enter into his high courts with thanksgiving and praise. In the old covenant, glory rests on us, but in the new covenant, glory resides within us. In the old covenant, the law became stone and it was held over us, but in the new covenant, the word became flesh and it tabernacled amongst us. Jesus is the greater and more perfect tabernacle. A house not built with human hands. His presence has become the very center of our lives. And here's the good news. In his presence, you can still find rest. You can still find joy. You can still find fulfillment and satisfaction. For at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It, during the 40 years that the Hebrew children was in the wilderness... A portable tent was used as a makeshift tabernacle. Inside this tent, sacrifices was made, worship was offered, offerings were given, but the most important activity would happen once a year. 
where the high priest would enter into the most holy place, the place where the Ark of the Covenant sat, the place where the manifest presence of God dwelt, and he would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. I want you to notice for a moment this morning how the tabernacle was constructed. It was placed at the center of the camp as three million people dwelled around it. In the Jewish custom, no man would ever turn their back on the tabernacle for it was a place of reverence, it was a place of significance, and it was the place where Yahweh himself dwelt. In a similar matter, I want you to notice how the church is constructed. The presence is at the center of who we are. It is the one constant no matter what city we camp in. It is the one thing that we will never turn our backs on. It doesn't matter what type of enemies surround us. If the presence is at the center of who we are, it is God who will give us the victory. Friend, whatever is at your center becomes the gravitational force that the rest of your life rotates around. See, the moon orbits the earth, and the earth orbits the sun, and the sun orbits around the Milky Way, and your life revolves around whatever value carries the most central weight. See, if politics is at your center, your life revolves around the news. If money is at your center, your life revolves around the stock market. But when Jesus is at your center, he causes every other ancillary object to properly rotate in conjunction with his pull. The presence of God is simply what orders every other lesser priority in your life. And what do you find inside the presence? Hebrews 9 tells us. The first thing that was mentioned that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant was manna from the wilderness. See, the presence of God won't rest on anything that isn't generous. Where you find provision, there you will find presence. Where you see generosity, there you will discover outpouring. It is impossible to get his presence without being introduced to his character. And if there is one thing that I know to be true about God, it is this. He is the father of lights. He delights in his children. And every good and perfect gift comes from the father above. No, there is nothing he does that is stingy. There is no gift that he gives begrudgingly. There is no good thing that he will withhold from the one who walks uprightly. Watch what the Bible says. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Give and it will be given unto you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generous, generously and it will be given unto you. The blessing of the Lord enriches and he adds no sorrow to it. Watch. When the government forgives debt, it transfers it to the next generation. When Jesus forgives debt, he buries it in the sea of forgetfulness. When the government gives a gift, it's for the ultimate benefit of the giver. When Jesus gives a gift, it is for the ultimate benefit of the recipient. The government is generous with other people's money, but God is generous according to his own riches and glory. 
Man's blessing is temporary. God's blessing is permanent. Man's blessing is easily revoked. God's blessing stands the test of time. It's no wonder David says it like this. I was young and now I'm old, but God's people are never forsaken and the righteous, they never go hungry. David says it like this in Psalm 16, you will show me the path of life for in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I promise you this, you can live a completely full life if you are a person of the presence. No, I didn't say an easy life. I didn't say a problem-free life. I didn't say a conflict-free life. I said a full life. In fact, fullness in the Hebrew translates to the phrase completely satisfied, which means this, by the time that God calls me home, there won't be one area of my life that hasn't been fully satisfied by his goodness and by his abundance. It's no wonder Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. No, we aren't seeking the gift. We are seeking the giver. But when you get the giver, you get the gifts that he brings. I want you to notice something. A month into the wilderness journey, the Hebrew children had run out of food. 30 days after leaving Egypt, they were on the edge of starvation. But God had not run out of miracles. And in fact, for the next 40 years, the Bible would record that manna became the daily bread that rained down from heaven and sustained the Israelites until they reached their promised land. See, it's interesting. The word manna, it directly translates to the phrase, what is it? <laughs> Meaning the miracle didn't present itself as a miracle when it first arrived. How many times has a miracle shown up in what is it form from God? God, I was asking for abundance and you gave me a job. What is it? God, I was asking for patience and you gave me kids. What is it? God, I was asking for perspective and you gave me responsibility. What is it? <laughs> See, for basically my entire life, whenever I had a picture of manna coming down from heaven, this is what I saw. It's like, man, the Israelites are in the wilderness. They wake up in the morning. Unlimited breadsticks are raining down from heaven. And this was the manna that sustained them. But in fact, the more that you read, the more that you understand that manna didn't come down in bread form. Manna came down in seed form. And the instruction from Moses was that the people were to take the seed and grind it at the mill until it became a powder. And once it was a powder, they were to mix it with oil and knead it into dough. And then they would let it rise. And then finally, they would bake it into bread. See, friend, your blessing doesn't come as a loaf. It comes as a seed. But it carries the potential to feed your family if you will be faithful to follow the process of turning seed into bread. Now watch. You woke up this morning... You had breath in your lungs. You had a beating heart in your chest. You had purpose in your life. And you had hope in your spirit. You had all the necessary ingredients for God to do a miracle on your behalf. See, potential is God's gift to you. But what you do with it is your gift to God. 
What is it? It's manna. It comes from being in his presence and it carries with it the potential to sustain your life. And friend, if he provided for the Hebrew children in the wilderness, I am confident that he will provide for his covenant children today. The first thing that you find in his presence is provision for every step of your journey. How's the next building gonna get paid for? I'm not sure, but ain't nothing gonna move me from the presence. How's the next property gonna be acquired? Not entirely sure, but nothing is gonna move me from the place of his presence. How about the next staff person, the next volunteer? How's your business gonna grow? How's your mortgage gonna be met? How's God gonna provide for all of the vision items that you still have left unchecked on your checklist? I'm not sure. But if you will dedicate yourself to being a person of the presence, my God will supply everything you're in need of according to his riches and glory. See, the problem is that God invites us on this grand adventure of life and we find ourselves standing at the Red Sea and we get all frustrated like, God, you didn't tell me about this and how am I ever gonna get through this? And if I knew it was gonna cost this much, I would have never said yes. And that's why God doesn't show you the whole picture when he invites you unto obedience. He's just asking you to take the next step. See, the problem is, is that we begin in the spirit, but then we continue in the flesh. And we forget that when you had nothing, God provided everything. And if God provided back then, he'll provide today, he'll provide tomorrow, because every ounce of God's vision for your life has already been paid for, but it is found in his presence. And here's what I recognize going home from a Sunday morning here at church put my hands in my pockets and I, I find seeds. I didn't know it was in there. And that verse, that wisdom, that principle, that prayer time, that worship song, I, 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 I didn't know what it was doing in my life when I was engaging with it, but by the time that I got home, I found out that God equipped me with a seed. Maybe I was expecting a fully baked loaf of bread, but what God gave me was the potential to develop into the miracle that he wants to provide. You get seeds when you're in his presence. You get provision when you're in his presence. You get the gifts when you seek the giver. It wasn't just manna that they found in the Ark of the Covenant. The other thing that Moses commanded that they keep in that golden box was Aaron's staff. It wasn't just any staff. It, it was a, a supernatural staff that had blossomed as a result of, of being in the presence of God. See, in the book of Numbers, chapter 17, the Bible records that there is a rebellion against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Why does Moses and Aaron think that they can lead the people? Who died and left them in charge? Do they really think that they're more special than us? So Moses has an idea. He tells the 12 tribes, select elders from each of your tribes. Have a representative from each of them set their staffs before the Ark of the Covenant and leave them overnight. And whatever staff has blossomed by the morning, that's who God has placed his anointing on to lead. And the Bible records that when the 12 tribes woke up the next morning, Aaron's staff had blossomed while the other staffs remained fruitless. 
Friend, it is the presence of God which is your unfair advantage in the world around you. It is what causes you to stand out, and it is what causes your life to blossom. I've got bad news for you this morning. You are not smart enough. You are not talented enough. You are not gifted enough for what lays in your future. But here is the one redemptive quality of our lives. We have been laid out before the presence of God. And for this reason, our lives have blossomed. I think there's a reason this church is leading in the region. I think there's a reason God has put supernatural acceleration on this house. There's a reason Seattle is opening up. We have been laid out before the presence of an almighty God. And our life is just now starting to blossom. Oh, I love when religious people get offended with manifestations at the altar. I love when people become everybody else's fruit inspector because they don't have any fruit themselves. Oh, I can't explain why some folks fall, shake, rattle, and roll in the presence of God, but I'm not wasting time trying to explain the presence. I don't explain the presence. The presence explains us. The Bible says in number 17 that Aaron's staff, it, it, it blossomed and it actually produced almonds. Now the almond tree is significant in Jewish culture because it is the first tree to blossom right before springtime begins. And in fact, in Jewish culture, they oftentimes refer to the almond tree as the awakening tree because it signifies to the rest of creation, it's time to wake up, harvest is coming. I, I want you to know, friend, that oftentimes the way that God works in our lives on, on a Sunday morning, it's hard to quantify, hard to qualify. Well, I like church and I felt inspired. I think I'm encouraged. I, I think my mind got renewed. My body might've even gotten healed. I, I think I might have given something in the offering, but like other than that, I, I'm not sure how to quantify what God really did in my life. And I think oftentimes in our, in our Western context, we're trying to provide boxes to individual moments when the creator of the universe who holds our past, present, and future in, our very, in his very hands is just asking us to give us time and space to work. Yeah, some Sundays are memorable and other Sundays are forgettable. But there's not one moment in the presence of God that is ever wasted. And what God is building and developing in you in these very moments, you might not have language for, but I promise you, you will look back 20, 30 years down the road and be so thankful that you refuse to be moved from a place of his presence. Your life begins to blossom. Your family begins to develop. Your mind begins to be renewed. Your, your vision begins to be expanded. Your dreams begin to become alive. If you are a person who will honor God first in worship and adoration, making a place for his presence to do the heavy lifting in your life, I promise you it will cause you to blossom. The elements in the ark, they served as a reminder of what happens in the presence. Your life is marked in ways that you can't ever explain. Manna was never explained. Aaron's rod blossoming, it was never explained. The stone tablets never explained. 
But I am convinced that what the next generation of Jesus followers need are not fancy explanations, but instead an interaction with the power and presence of God that marks them for eternity. Hear me, faith will take you places explanations cannot fit. It wasn't just the manna. It wasn't just Aaron's staff, but Moses, he put, he put the stone tablets that held the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He broke the first set because he was so irritated that Aaron was leading the people in false worship. But God gave him a second set. And on these tablets, the, the Ten Commandments were authored by the finger of God himself. If there's one thing that I've found to be true about the presence of God is that you don't get an accurate picture of his presence if you're not a person of the word. You cannot be presence driven if you are not word focused. Hear me, there is a style of preaching and communication that concerns me today. It's a lot of human wisdom, a lot of personal anecdotes, a lot of humorous stories, but only a little bit of word. See, I got about 60 minutes with you once a week. If I don't give you the word, I haven't given you much of anything. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word is a lamp and a light unto our path. The word is God breathed. The word is spirit and it is life. The word is profitable for all teaching, reproof, correction, and training. The pursuit is a place where the word and the spirit change lives. We sing the word, we pray the word, we teach the word, we honor the word, and those activities naturally create an atmosphere where it is easy to engage in his presence. See, when you carry the word, it's his presence that carries you. And why is there such a war against the word of God today? Because if the enemy can get you to doubt the word, deconstruct the word, diminish the word, or ignore the word, he can cause you to live a powerless life, an empty Christianity, and a defeated faith. It is always the same tactic from the enemy. Did God really say? See, what makes a presence-driven church a presence-driven church? A place where the word is honored, the lives of people are transformed, and the manna of miracles and provision is flowing we have no other choice we have no no other choice so I think that there's a coming move that church historians will write about where people got their eyes off the programmatic approach to religion instead became so desperate for the presence of God that nothing else would satisfy and Fred, when we are people of the presence, our lives are marked in ways that leave people with this conclusion. These are unlearned men, but I know they've been with Jesus. I don't see how it could work in Snohomish. I don't see why it would work in the Northwest. What do they think they know about Seattle? I disagree with their methods. I don't like their activities. I don't like the way their lead pastor dresses, but these men have been with Jesus. See, when you are marked by the presence, it becomes the only resume you need for the transformation of society. We just need folks who are willing to settle for nothing less than an unmitigated interaction with a holy God that marks them for a generation. It is the presence of God that builds the church. It is the presence of God that reaches the region. It is the unexplained encounter with the glory of the Almighty that forever marks people for their destiny. I can't explain it, but I know when I've tasted it. 
And the Bible says, taste and see that he is good. And in doing so, never settle for anything less. I simply refuse to apologize for being a person of the presence. I'm convinced if we'll create a place where his presence dwells, it just about don't matter how well I preach. It just about don't matter how well the worship team does. If we will create a place where the presence rests, you will walk in these doors and all of a sudden tears come to your eyes. You'll stand here at this altar and all of a sudden feel the presence of an almighty overshadowing you. You'll be interacting in this environment. You say, I can't explain it. I can't define it. I can't wrap a theological box around it. But I know that I have encountered God and friend. That's enough. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one that we have sold everything to follow. He is the one who is worthy as we count the cost of what it means to follow him. He is the one who we respond with a joyful yes when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Why? Because we have tasted and seen the goodness of his presence and we refuse to move without it. It's like Moses on the mountain saying, I'm not going without your glory. If your presence isn't in the promise, keep me in the wilderness. I'm not leaving without an almighty God who is walking with me, beside me, and taking residence inside of me. Friend, we owe the next generation an encounter with the presence of God. It is not enough to give them facts. It is not enough to give them theological principles. It is not enough to give them dead, boring stories. They need an encounter with the living God. We are people of the presence. We are people of the presence. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Come on, that's our job. We're not in management, we're in sales. We lift high the name of Jesus and watch the work that he will do all across the Northwest. Come on, let me pray for you, Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus. God, I pray that your spirit would overwhelm us in a fresh and a new way, that we would leave here today a little more hungry than the way we came in that we would not leave simply content to experience a powerless faith, but that God, our desire, like David, would be to say one thing that I have sought and, and one thing I have desired to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon His beauty, to be undone by his brilliance, that in my time of trouble, he would hide me in his pavilion, that I could inquire of him in his temple, that his wings would overshadow me, that his presence would fill me to overflowing, that I would see with my own eyes the goodness of God in the land of the living. God, would we be those type of people in the Northwest, folks who say we are here for you and we will settle for nothing less. It's not just a presence-driven church, but God, we desire to be a presence-driven people. That the core weight of our valued existence, that the core truth by which all of our life revolves around would be the reality of a risen Savior and the experience of His Spirit filling the tabernacle of our hearts. God, it is still worth it to follow you. You are still worthy of all praise and adoration in the church. It is still worth it to forsake all, the world behind us, the cross before us. It is still worth it to follow this Jesus. God, I pray that your presence would mark us in significant ways. 
and in doing so, that your presence would carry this church and carry this people into places that we could never get with our own time, talent, power, or treasure. But that God, you would open doors no man could close. And in doing so, your presence would ultimately transform this region in significant ways. God, we give you all the praise and glory, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen. And amen. Thank you so much.